Hello, everybody. Howdy. I'm tired. Oh, <laughs> poor Gerald. Why are you tired, Jared? Well, my mom used to say when when you're ignorant, you got to be tough. And um, <laughs> I had a good deal of ignorance going on last night um, at the Gold Cup. Stayed up too late. Partaked in um, a little too much fun. A little too much fun? Well, the our good old boys in blue had a little too much fun last night, too. Yeah, did you see that? Um, that nation's got like 50,000 people in it total. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think St. Peter's, um, our beautiful, sunny St. Peter's, home of Kevin Robson. <laughs> I think they got 50,000-plus people in that town. Um, but could they field a team to beat St. Kitts? Uh, maybe. I mean... They were, they were athletes. I'll give them that. They were. Uh, 47,606. 47,606. <laughs> I was joking last night. I think we should just all move to St. Kitts. <laughs> And I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's amazing that you can field a team of that quality. I mean, it, it wasn't they weren't a terrible team. It's just well, compared to what they were going up against, it's just tough. I mean, I don't know how you. Well, before we get into the weeds here, everybody's like, "Well, what are they talking about?" If they don't really know what we're talking about, last night the uh, the three of us attended with approximately eighteen, nineteen thousand of our closest friends at City Park, uh, U.S. Men's National Team Gold Cup. Uh, game two of group play. Game two of group play versus uh, St. Kitts, correct? St. Kitts and Nevis. Yes. Um, apparently awesome on the all-inclusive front. Uh, but, oh. yeah, you know, don't, I'm sure they have resorts down there. Sandals, hedonism, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, they, they have um, excellent jewelry vendors. <laughs> you can go there. And on the beach? Yep. Shells, is that where mm. you can get your... Your conch I bracelets. Think, I think that's Jared? maybe a Caribbean cruise um, spot for you to jump off the boat and go. It, buy I, I some believe food. you're right. Yeah, and then there's a, a dormant volcano there. Wow. So well, uh, boys in blue did their job. Big game, six zero, um, and it was what most people that were you know clearly armchair quarterbacks going into were all complaining and whining. Where's Pulisic? Where's, you know, where's our A-team? Well, selfishly, I was kind of like I was that way. Because I, I wanted them. But, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, but you guys paid face value for the tickets. You so. can't. Exactly. Yeah. You, you cannot, paid $20 for your ticket You yesterday. cannot was, get away from the haters um, ever. I mean, Twitter today, just perusing through it. Um, Why do you hey, do a day Jesus Ferreira, he, um, quickest ever to 10 goals in a national team setting, and the haters are just out loud and proud. I mean, all of his goals are against the crappy CONCACAF Island Nations. He hasn't scored a big goal. I mean, can, can you can you give it a rest? Yeah. It, it gets old, you know, in the City SC fan page on Facebook and, you know, all, all these sites. It's just, God, I mean, you're not even relevant on any of those unless you're a complete annoying little just piece of shit, really, at this point. <laughs> I thought you were going to pull I, out a Ted Lasso T-word there for a second. I started to, but then I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I got to practice not being that guy. Yeah, it's one of the favorite words in our household, though. Uh, oh, yeah. When it's on. Oh, well, now Beckett and Max walk around the house going, poop, eh? 
<laughs> Kayla. Pope. Pope. Um, Can we talk about the atmosphere, though, at City Park last well, night? I tell you what, why don't we just roll it in, uh, you know, because our, our boys over there at uh, the Pinnacle Loan Group, um, again, we mentioned in the last episode. Yep. They're, they're throwing us some love these days, you know, helping keeping mm-hmm. these stories flowing. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't we just kick it off this way? Pinnacle points of the day. Oh, yeah. You uh, start. Yeah, it was weird. I got there around halftime for the Jamaica versus Trinidad and Tobago, and it was 3-1 Jamaica at the time. And I sat in my seat in Section 111, which is the corner uh, on the northeast side. I thought I was at a Cardinal game. What do you mean? quiet people walking around the whole time all you could hear was other people talking it wasn't it didn't feel like a soccer match that north end is a lot different without that supporters group right there, is it not it is I mean, now it changed stadium. it changed when the u.s team came out but for that first game it really felt like just a party like it wasn't Oh, oh! There's a soccer game going on right now. I had no idea. I thought we were just here to hang out and eat good food. And well, with a team that had uh, six of their starters play in the Premier League, right? You know, so I mean, the quality on the field was legit. Yeah, uh, the recognition was less than zero. Yeah, it, it just it looked like. I think if if this game had happened two years ago, before we had City, it would have been packed. It would have been raucous. Because we had international games like that at Bush Stadium where they were sold out and it was crazy. Yeah. Now yeah. that we have a team, I think we're a little not spoiled by any means, nothing negative. I just think we've like, okay, we don't have to show the world how cool of a soccer Well, <laughs> here's what I think is funny yeah. about that, you know, kind of piggybacking on both of the things that you guys brought up early in this episode. Uh, Jared, you social media and Zach, your point about the environment. You know, if you combine the two last night on socials, everybody's like, you know, oh, look at all these tickets for sale and look how poorly it's going to be attended. And, you know, number one, the ticket sales were fine. Yeah, 21,200, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it for all intent and purposes, that's a sellout. Yeah. yeah um, I agree. The, the, the vibe when the men's team, U.S. team was playing was... I mean, it was it was above average. It was six goals helps, so everybody's vibing off of it. But the complaining, you know, match the two up. Everybody's like, you know, how are we supposed to get the U.S. team back here if we can't, you know, prove we can do this in the middle of the week? And then what does City do the very next day today? They announce September. <laughs> yep, <laughs> U.S. Uzbekistan. Two games, two games in September, 9th and twelfth. Yeah, so they're coming back. I think we. Yeah. Well, yeah. City Park and the city of St. Louis in particular, and obviously our MLS group here and their fingers in the mix, they're not going to drop the ball on this stuff. We are going to see a multitude of games, high-level games, national team games, as well as features yeah, for yeah. a long, long time. My uh, my pinnacle um, point two of the day. Point two. Um, it's a little bit long-winded because um, I'm dragging ass today, and I'll tell you why. I mean, just had a great time. Tailgated a little bit before, had some sandwiches and beers. With Coach Donegan? Yep. Walked over to Maggie's because the girls had to use a restroom before we walked in. And um, I well, got Well, I, you know that the restrooms are actually the same price at both venues, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're free. <laughs> so for me, uh, JB told me to write it down, um, so I did write it down. Um, our fine friends over there at Amsterdam Tavern, um, uh, Mr. Stelzer and uh, Lyle. Jeff Lyle. They, um, Stelzer bought a round of shots. 
He did. And um, by all accounts, that is, um, you can count on one hand <laughs> how many times he actually has bought a round of shots. Well, I'll defend my friend. <laughs> He's fairly prolific at uh, putting out the libations when he's had ample libations himself. <laughs> so he needs a little lubricant. Yeah. So yeah. thanks. To, we should really thank our uh, friend Mr. Hummel from over at Summit for throwing a Modelo party first, that put everybody in a great mood. So that when we walked in, we were the the reapers of the benefit. Yeah. So um, that was my pinnacle um, uh, point two of the day. Is um, got a round of shots from Stelter. Well, here's here's what I wanted to talk about briefly today, um, off off soccer topic, but on social media topic, and on St. Louis Cardinals topic, uh, Adam Wainwright. Um, oh, no, what? It, you know what I'm? You know where yeah. I'm going with this? So uh, Twitter is is cesspool. Oh my god, it's it's something these days at best. Uh, it's like rats eating rats. And the other day, all of a sudden, everybody's freaking out, screenshots, this account is unavailable, and all these things, you know, it's Wayno's page. And basically, um, I guess the gist of the story is pretty simple. Cardinals are not having a good year. He's at the end of his career, a storied career. Uh, he, is a, he is a baseball icon in this town, was brilliant on socials for a lot of different reasons, just always a super positive guy. And after the uh, Cards-Cubs game in London, um, you know, everybody just starts blowing him up. And what's he do? He takes his ball and goes home, turns off the account. Um, I got mixed feelings on that, you know, because it's like you, you, you don't want people to just kind of fade away like that. Um, granted, you're not going to stop people from being the T word. <laughs> poop eh? um but uh what you know what i don't have mixed feelings on it i, I don't I, I think if you are an athlete and you choose to be on social media you're going to face that kind of adversity and scrutiny and all that but if you choose to get off of that good on you. fine yeah yeah if you don't want to take that shit don't take it it's I unfortunate get that. i mean people are just you know they're pretty good and big and bad and you know bandit like behind their keyboard arguably for me in my lifetime adam wainwright might be the most stand-up sports star that i know of i mean he carries himself with class he gives interviews he has a, a sense of humor um he's had a ton of success he's self-deprecating he, yeah. he he is he is what you would want your professional athlete to carry themselves like and act like and for the the tough guys on twitter to just kick him when he's down i just i, I don't i don't have any patience for it i think it's um i mean it's just and most of those people probably have no sports accomplishments at all in their life, but no. they're going to be hot and heavy. Maybe EA Sports. I mean, not even that. It's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> no. Are you saying they're more World of Warfare guys? Yeah. And or if he just turns it off, then maybe taking the ball and going home state statement, at least he's not engaging back and making an ass out of himself. Exactly. That's the thing. When you argue with an idiot on the internet... It's hard to tell which is which. I do it all the time. Damn, right. I was going to say. <laughs> so, which which side am I yeah, on? I <laughs> no, I, I, I do have a, a, a pinnacle point, three point, two, one, maybe. 
just take number four because there's three of us. Sure. Yeah. So I think uh, we just learned about this earlier today that two of our own Academy folks yes. are being represented by the MLS at the MLS All-Star game uh, in D.C. <clears throat> One is Caden Glover, who we've spoken of many times in the show. East side. On the 17s for the, I believe, the West squad. Yes. And then um, our own coach, uh, Gaffer, Anthony Wallace, is helming the West U15 side. So No, no, it's it's all one age It's group. all one side? So there's O5s, O6s, and O7s that are on each roster that comprise of the All-Stars. Oh, no wow. O8s. And um, Caden made the team, as you're mentioning. Yep. And Anthony um, coaches one of the teams. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it's a collection of standouts from the 05, 06, and 07 age groups. Oh, that's really cool. So even bigger, I, I, I thought it was three separate. And the coolest thing about the whole week is they are actually there and they are partaking in all of the week's festivities for the MLS All-Star Week. So they are practicing as teams um, privately with their coaches, and then they are doing, like, the skills competition. Oh, cool. They, they, and then they are getting in as young kids. He's 05, 06, 07, so you're talking 15 and 16 to 18-year-olds. They are partaking in the whole festivities, and the, the big boy MLS outfit is including the MLS Next Kids in the celebration. That's really cool. Well, well I mean, it's just, them. <clears throat> yeah, it's just another indicator that, you know, one of, one of our own is just continues to clip off at a high pace. So congratulations, Caden, and, uh, you know, the whole crew and, and his family as well. You know, you got to be proud. Um, so here's, here's what we got. Uh, I want to remind everybody really quickly, um, the last episode we had, uh, number 60, 6 zero, was Hack and Whack. And I, you know, and I didn't bring it up during the episode and it kind of occurred to me afterwards because other people were like, holy shit, you had Hack and Whack on. And I'm like, I didn't even think about talking about the nicknames. We got a, we got a nickname coming up too, so. Buzz, yeah, Buzz and Mark Demling. Um, you know, the, the epitome of an OG, OGs plural yep. um you know uh, north county kids uh played at the highest level collegiately professionally uh, just some just some fun old school stories they talked to talk and coincidentally they could walk the walk yeah without question yeah yeah and and brilliant brother banter you know <laughs> neither one of them are right ever right <laughs> uh go check that one out today's guest uh, as you're reading across the screen in your car or on your phone uh, is another true St. Louis soccer legend. This this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to throw a little spot at you real quick. We're going to be right back, and we're going to talk to the man. Thank you, and good night. <laughs> Yo, Jared here. Remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Wentzville. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at The PinnacleLoans.com. That's ThePinnacleLoans.com. 20 and 0 as freshmen? Really?
Okay, people. We're back. Jared, Zach, you guys ready to roll? Yes, sir. Uh, this is going to be fun. We've got uh, we got our guest on the line here, ready to jump in and join. Uh, this was one when we started the show was, you know, when we came up with our names, fellas, we all created a list. Um, I had this gentleman on my list of, man, that would be cool. And so today is a cool moment for me. Uh, like I said, if you're in your car, you, you know, you know, the name, you see it on your screen. It's on your phone. We have the Mr. Don Ebert on the line here. How are you doing, Don? I'm good. Thanks guys. Nice to talk to you. All right. I appreciate it. So you are, uh, just to kind of set the table here, cause, uh, most time we, we do these in person over beers, so we can look them in the eye when they lie to us, or we lie to them. <laughs> but, you, but you are clearly Wait, on. Eddie didn't tell me there's beers involved. Hold on now. It's almost happy hour out here in Southern California. It's okay. Well, there you go, man. Uh, well, we're in St. Louis. I believe happy hour starts at about 8.05 a.m. and uh, wraps up. <laughs> That's much, true. Much, That's true. Much later. So you are, you're out on the West Coast. Where are you at today? I've been I've been in Southern California since the day I got traded out here. So uh, uh, when that trade went down, I came out to play on the indoor team that was in LA. It was the Lasers, that was owned by Jerry Butts and his sports empire. So family and I settled in Orange County. Uh, when Petch and I got traded together, we kind of settled down in a city called Irvine. It's right by Newport Beach. Right, uh, settle down. And uh, uh, settle down is the way we're going to explain that. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of uh, when you get shipped out, you settle down quick. Find uh, a place, bunker in, and uh, I've been out here ever since that day. Well, you, uh, when we were texting a little earlier, you you had just gotten back, um, you know, just just briefly, and we'll talk about this more later on. But uh, your role with the the club, the Strikers, you guys were down in Dallas as well, weren't you? Yeah, for Nationals, we're in the MLS next. So uh, I've been coaching the club for, uh, it's sad to say, 36 years. Wow. So wow. amongst all these other jobs that I've done and coaching and working for bus and running this and running that, uh, I've got this little youth club. My kids played through it. We built it into something I mean, Southern California is a little different than St. Louis, and in, in it's what way? A lot bigger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where do you want to start? Let's see. Uh, the the sheer volume out here is crazy. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's um, it's a different world out here. The the so youth soccer landscape is a world of its own, for good and for the bad. And uh, there's many times I, I miss back home in St. Louis and the simplicity of it all. And there's other times that when you're freezing and it's 90 degrees out here, I'm like, wow, this ain't so bad. I hear you. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've been out a few times. Um, we have friends that live in Topanga. Um, it's pretty amazing at times. Uh, what's not amazing is the traffic, though. <laughs> so... I, 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 I like a lot of it. I like the, the water, but uh, the car scenario is a little difficult out there. Um, There's too many people, point blank. It's too yeah. crowded. It drives me nuts as I get older. Uh, I think we're all looking, the wives and I are looking for what the next stage and next adventure will be. 
Well, if 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 you listen to Jared Bertrand, he'd tell you to come to Wentzville. Yep, <laughs> beautiful sunny Wentzville. It's a lot different from forty years ago, Don. <laughs> I I have I have family that lives in Wentzville. Let's my go, sister and brother. Oh, so well, there that you go. Is different. You used to drive out that forty, and you saw nothing. Yep. Now it's a uh, it's a whole different world out there. Agreed. Hey, so let's let's go back in time a little bit, just so we can set the table a little bit for those that are listening. Um, you know, because obviously you mentioned that once you were traded, you've been out there ever since. Uh, but let's go to the you know a little bit of the earlier days days and set the table. Uh, you you grew up here, correct? Oh yeah, born and raised St. Louis. Yep, North County. Rosary, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. No, I Rosary. Mean, yep. You know, it's funny, and we talk about this all the time via our guests and amongst ourselves, just, you know, that the the 60s and 70s in particular and the role that North County St. Louis has played in in pumping out players and coaches in particular, um, you know, what what was in the water for you? What, you know, what, what did the early days look like for you up there on north on the north side? Well, I try to explain this to people, and people... We didn't, we didn't know any different, right? In the, in the Catholic school system that was so dominant, you played soccer. I mean, there wasn't organized American football. There was a little baseball. There was a, uh, you know, there wasn't organized hockey. There wasn't uh, basketball. wasn't a big thing in the in the in the school. And you did everything in schools back then. You you played for your school whatever sport the school was that's what you did and and soccer dominated the that whole age went spectrum that you were in so you grew up playing soccer i didn't know anything i played a little baseball we played the the circuit a little bit but St. Louis soccer as a youth was cool it was intense all your friends were at different schools you represented your school and that's how it all launched and then you know, Bush Soccer Club and the big clubs started evolving, but it all started where you just play with your buddies on your school team and go kick your butt and went up the street and played the other St. Holy Mary, and then you <laughs> went over here, and, and, then, right. and then the whole North-South thing took a life of its own, and oh my God, the rivalry between North County, South County, all my buddies down there. I mean, it was just how you grew up. That's all we did. I mean, I don't, and you try to explain that back then to people are like, it's impossible. And I'm like, I know you had to be there. It's a St. Louis thing. It's only a St. Louis thing. And I don't know how to explain it. Well, I mean, isn't it crazy though? Like you, 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 you embody kind of the 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 nuance of that you know that generation our community in general in so much that what what happened in those years really all the way up for the last 50 years plus um the expats people like yourself that are going out and in running clubs you know in california and then you got uh, more recently and currently uh, a guy like pat noonan who's out at you know fc cincinnati doing what he's doing and i mean it, it's a long long list do you ever like 
uh, how does it make you feel knowing that you're part of that fabric up from St. Louis, which is, you know, we always joke on this show. Is it joking or are we malicious about it when it comes to Kansas City, guys? Uh, uh, from a soccer capital I think standpoint, people that are on the other side of it would say it's malicious, <laughs> for sure. Where's you know? So I guess my question to you, Don, is pretty simple. Um, where does St. Louis? What does it mean to you to be a, a soccer influencer from St. Louis? with all the success that the city and its expats have had? Listen, there are so many players. I mean, you know, I'm not – just name off Pat McBride and Al Trost and, 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 and two of the most influential coaches, players, and the whole litany of the Bob Gelkers of the world all the way down to Rick Benbens and Rooney's and – and and Pete Thorbers and and then listen, I'm one player out of three thousand really good St. Louis players, and and you know you got to take that. You got I take that very proudly. I mean, it 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 got me out here. Uh, it it changed my whole life here for the better. And I experienced some things I would have never done, but it all started back home in St. Louis. St. Louis is still home. And, you know, the, the game has changed and the dominance that we had is not there anymore. The, the rest of the country has absolutely caught up with the, with the St. Louis mentality. And that's great for the game. It's, it's national now. And, but, it's hard to explain when I say a name like, you know, Ty Teal or Bruce Ridroff or Carl Rose and Petch and all those guys, they were a big part of my entire 20 something years of coaching. They, they, they're a big, big part of all that. And, and there's just no getting around it. And it's hard to tell people that so many came from one area. One little city could produce and develop so many really good soccer players, but that fabric was, it started at you at five and it, I'm 64 now, man. I still coach. I'm on a field six days a week. I'm still <laughs> trying to help teach the game to kids. And, and uh, it, it, it's something that it's hard to get rid of. I got to tell you, it's hard to let go. <laughs> so Don, first of all, I think at 64, you've still got moves. I've seen your videos, your training videos, <laughs> and uh, you're still getting after <laughs> yeah. it and uh, still teaching these kids the fundamentals that I think solidified you and so many of those that you mentioned. And my question for you is really, how did you kind of um, package up what you learned in your youth in, in North County, what you learned at Rosary, SIUE, and then into your professional career from some of those coaches like Pat McBride? How did you take that and bring it to Irvine and create really one of the most iconic youth clubs in the country? Um, how did you take elements of the St. Louis not model? Cause it wasn't a model, just the culture. How did you do that? Or did you do that? Look, there's, there's, there's one common threat and I don't care if you talk to any soccer player in that 30 year year era. And I will guarantee you, 
there's one thing I took away from St. Louis soccer, and it has been the fabric of everything I've done as a player and, and, and as a coach, and it is the ultra-competitiveness, the hard work, blue-collar. All the St. Louis teams were never the most technical. We were never the prettiest. We played in the snow at Forest Park where there were no lines. We never had night fields like these kids today. I have eight-year-olds that walk on the field going, Coach, this field sucks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but I'm going to take you back to, you know, we played in, but the competitiveness, that blue-collar work has to be the number one hard work. You can't be a player if you're not willing to work hard. That mentality has always stuck with me. I was not the most gifted. I was not the fastest. I was one-slitted. I had more flaws than positives, but I always could count on being a hardworking player and outworking people. And and I think that is the constant, the the absolute culture constant coming out of St. Louis. And if you talk to any of the guys, I promise you that's the one constant. And so you bring that to a place like Southern California where it's the absolute opposite of <laughs> St. Louis hard work down to earth. We are what we are. This this world that I landed in was it was La La Land. It was Hollywood. It was quite literally, you know, <laughs> yeah. literally, and and so that has been the constant, and that has always been my. One, when people say, okay, what are your absolutes as a coach and as the club? That's the hardest. That's number one, hard work. That's it. We start there, and then from there we can do great things can happen. But uh, that's all St. Louis. I, I don't even hesitate when people <laughs> ask me what the number one thing is from growing up in St. Louis. Blue-collar, hard-working people. Yeah, well said. I, um, uh, You can really see it. Zach brought the club up that you're the uh, technical director at your club. Um, congratulations on um, the MLS Next event. I think you guys had um, an under-16 final um, runner-up, and then you guys also made the final four um, in the 15-age bracket. Um, our boys play in the under-15-age group here for City, um, and we're previously at Gallagher, and we've played your 15s group um, in years past, especially at the last event. And you can see it in your guys' club, um, what you just explained. Your kids are hardworking kids. They play the game right. They're very technical. And, and how how do you become and how do you stay that successful with with two neighboring MLS professional academies. I mean, you could argue in an age group that you guys are just as good in certain age groups, if not better, than those MLS academies that are there. Is it strictly a population thing, or is it just that blue-collar, hard work, learn the game fundamentals from an early age just what, what's your secret sauce with this success that you guys are just knocking it out of the park with the strikers well listen we took our lumps when you have two billionaires it was bad enough when it was Beckham and and shoots and they would just come down roll out that badge and i would lose our top five players automatically and then here comes lafc and all their 
you know, Bob Bradley and World Cup coach and it's free, free, free and come play with us. So we took our lumps. I got to tell you, it was no fun. And you would build up some pretty decent teams and the big boys would come down and say, good, we're taking him, 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 him. And thanks. And never even look back. Wouldn't even shake your hand. And then they screwed up. And then they got fat and lazy. There's no other way to say it. They started putting 35, 40 kids on a team. They, they stopped training. They just started hoarding talent. And all of a sudden, they opened up a little gap for us where all our players were like, I don't want to go. And so there was a three-year period right at the end of the DA before MLS came in that all the players stopped going. They said, Coach, we like it here. We don't want to go up there. Can I ask all you this real quick? Let me yeah. ask you this question um, because this is just on the tip of my tongue. Um of course, playing in whatever age group for those two clubs that you just talked about, it's a free thing. Do um, We're very familiar with Scott Gallagher in the St. Louis marketplace. Do your top teams that you're bringing to that MLS event, do those kids and families pay to play on that top team? Of course. They do pay. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. Okay. Listen, everyone pays. The, the city pro team pays. They just have a billionaire that pays the bill, but when they get on a plane, they're buying tickets just like I'm buying. Oh, oh I get it. I get it. Say, My question is: Are you charging I, your? I've had your... this argument. I've had this argument with Taylor Twelman until I'm blue in the face. He goes, "You know, pay to play kills soccer." I said, "Taylor, the entire world is pay to play. Yep. Just because there's thirty billionaires that write checks for certain people, everybody pays. The, yeah. the, the world is in fields cost, uniforms cost, travel cost." So we, we charge and we do fundraisers and we have about $150,000 of scholarships that I divvy up amongst the players. So anybody who needs help, but it's, it's difficult. Let me tell Very. you, you gotta, it's not easy. And, but when they opened up and then we were able to compete with them and we beat them a couple of times, it changed the whole landscape. Because honestly, I offer anything they want. They want to go to college, go to college. You want to go to Europe, I've got European partnerships. You want to go to MLS, I've got an MLS partner now. Where do you want to go? Where sometimes when you go to the MLS, they're so rigid, they're so focused on their first team and how they play. And, you know, the first team coach dictates everything. Yep. I don't do that. We, we teach a completely different uh, we have a whole different philosophy on development. We 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 try to mirror what's happening in the international game and the pressing and count. I don't have one head coach who says, "Hey, you got to do this, this, this," and we don't do that. And I think it benefits a lot of players. I love that, and I I have a follow up to it, which is, I believe one of the coaches that was very influential in our boys' life also coached under you. Is that correct, Tim Leonard? Oh, wow. You had Timmy Leonard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we had Timmy. We had Lenny yeah. for two years. And, you know, we actually played the Strikers last summer in Dallas um, and lost two to one. And he was very emotional uh, for a variety of reasons. And we talked about that on the show. But um, it was one of those things where he talked about the club and how 
your club is interesting in that you have kind of a, a divided situation where you have some kids that come from a neighborhood that's a little more affluent, a lot of money, a lot of access, and you have kids that come from a neighborhood or neighborhoods within uh, the area that don't have that access, that don't have um, the affluency. And I'd love to talk a little bit about just your club and how you've been able to navigate you know, the, the diversity within the club, but also, and I don't mean just um, racial diversity, but also socioeconomic and how that's impacted you know, the fundraisers you mentioned and the scholarships and things like that. So I'd really love to dig into that part of it a little bit. Listen, if you, we are, Irvine's high end, okay? And then five minutes away, there's a community called Santa Ana, which is 90% Hispanic, that is unbelievably on the other end of the spectrum, up and down Southern California, where I'm at, Southern, from LA to San Diego, the, 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 the vast differences right. of, income and, and levels, you know, from the millionaire houses of Bel Air all the way to people just getting by. And we, listen, I embraced all that. I, I opened up the doors. I, I, you know, I got lucky in the beginning when we started. I had a couple people who said, Don, if any kid ever needs. And so what started out as 10, 15,000, and that would be 500 over, you know, 30 kids and spreading. And then we did a golf tournament and we made 15,000. Well, that went into scholarships. And, and so we built everything to the financial aid. And so we, you know, it might be 500, it might be 3,000. And I might buy kids a plane fare and some parent puts them up in hotels. And I, it's, it is, listen, I like to win. I like to go to nationals and I like to beat MLS teams. I really do. How good I, is I that Bush beer good. after your 15s or your 16s beat LAFC or LA Galaxy? How good is that Bush beer <laughs> that night? There's no take, there's no take better. I, I, it takes me back to beating New York Arrows at, 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 at the arena in the Checkerdome. I mean, it feels great. And well, I, I, I think, Don, I mean, what you're describing here, it goes back to the original questions when you it talked does. about North County. You've what what you've done. I mean, we've been watching from afar. We're all very aware of the club. We clearly we know you um, and, and your pedigree. But you've built a community. You've built a grind it out family based community, kind of North County style. Right. In Irvine. And it appears to be, well, it doesn't appear to be. It it's is. fucking working. It's working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, it's working. Look at the results. I mean, you, without a doubt, the most successful, in my eyes, non-MLS academy in our country. Yeah, I would, uh, I would put it I've, up there. Listen, I've, I've lived in Irvine 36 years. So I've got seven of the coaches who live here. Who, Ten of the guys who coach for me now played in the club. Now wow. I'm dating myself, <laughs> but when I look back at trying to keep it, and 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 that's that St. Louis. I know it is that St. Louis process of mine, but I have Irvine people who live in the city who played in the club. I don't have to teach them the culture. I don't have to. They they lived it. They heard it from me as players, so now they can say it 
as coaches. And I've got guys who have coached me for 20, 22 years. My right-hand guy started with me at the U9. He just had his second child. He's 45 years old, Roy. And he spent 30 years of his life with me. Wow. And, and how do you replace that? And that's the one thing I have over MLS. And I always tell our guys, and I said, I don't change like underwear. A, a five-game <laughs> losing streak, your city manager's out. And when he gets fired, the technical director's out. The academy coaches are out. I've lasted through like 10 Galaxy coaches and 15 <laughs> directors of their academy. And they spend $5 million a year. And they can't beat us. That's crazy. Have, ha, have they ever? Ha, have they ever come knocking? Have they ever asked you if you would consider that role? Yeah, oh. yeah. I had a, you listen. Remember Tim Liwecki, our good St. Yeah. Louis yeah. friend. Who Absolutely. I might. It might be before you guys, but Tim Liwecki was uh, Mister. When he ran the galaxy, he came knocking. He said, "Don, this is crap." I was working for Bus at the time. I had retired from playing. He was working and doing all the soccer for the Galaxy and working for Anschutz. He said, come on, it's time. I need you to do this. We're building this together. But uh, I always wanted to do the soccer kind of my way. And I always, once I started it, I really liked it. And I didn't want anybody telling me how to do it. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Off the rails, Don. Um winning season on Netflix. How accurate is that portrayal of the bus family? <laughs> Garbage. Garbage, you said? I can, tell, I, I can tell you one thing that really hurt me, and I only watched one episode, because I, I lived it. Okay? Yep, I yep. lived it. And I'm going to tell you, there, there's five people, five mentors in my life. One, obviously, my, my dad. But Jerry West, who was iconic. I mean, walked on water iconic, was the nicest man to Don Ebert when Don Ebert was this broken down, 28-year-old, retired, knew nothing, dropped in on Jerry Buss's empire, and I got told I'm going to start working. That man, for no reason, treated me and everybody in that organization like we were family, like we really meant something. And he was a Hall of Fame. He's the logo of the freaking league. Yep. And they portrayed him <laughs> so an badly in that damn thing that I turned it off and I said, I don't care what else they do because the kindest, best, most respected man that I, and I spent 15 years in that organization was Jerry West. So, the rest of it, I don't give a crap, but how they made him look was complete garbage and complete bullshit crap to me. Well. So you're saying you didn't like the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're saying there's a small chance I'll watch the replay. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it. I, I want to I lean a little bit more into the club side because there's so many aspects here. Let's peel this onion back a little further. Um really curious as to your take and kind of uh, opinion and or process as it applies to managing uh, your player expectations. Because you you have players, you're in a market, you're going to these events, you're beating the big boys. You are, your club, those kids are the big boys right now. And with kind of this elevated 
expectation of these MLS Academy players in particular, and really just young players coming up in general, thanks to social media and, and the popularity of the game and all these other things, how do you manage today's player, young player that has talent, uh, maybe even exceptional talent, how do you manage their own path or that process you know, for the potential jump to high-level D1 or Europe or beyond? Well, you have to do a couple of things. Number one, we make a habit here of moving players up, training players up. If I see a kid who's really talented and it's too easy, he just goes up. And people will say, well, if you keep him at his age, you might win. Yeah, okay. It's too easy, he goes up. So we do a lot of... We've always done that. I think I've led the DA two years that they tracked it on play, players playing up in age for games. And we do it in training. We mix training. Um, we've, we've created this environment, this mentality, this mindset that, listen, if I'm kicking ass at the 15, Ebert's going to move me to the 17, then I want to get there because blah. So, that has been universal throughout the, the entire club. The second thing, we made a conscious, I knew I couldn't maintain it. So I started finding partners and I've got now a network. I take kids to trials in Europe. I started a thing called the Talent Project with a buddy of mine that's based in uh, Germany, which is a residential program for elite players. I've, I now have a partnership with your Al Salt Lake. I'm taking seven of the guys who just played in the final and semifinal. They're going to move to the residency program up there. I get to participate if they if they ever hit it big time. So what I've done is said, listen, as good as this is, we need the multiple pathways. And when you when when players and parents look at the strikers, they say, okay, college is a slam dunk. We all our kids at least get colleges, and now they've got a domestic partner, and he always takes people and trips to Europe and Mick Cup and France and Germany. I got my 2010s in Germany right now, so we have really made a decision that if we're going to play with the big boys, we got to offer our guys more and and kind of have the mentality, the minute you're ready, the minute somebody wants you, you got our blessing, give them a hug, pat them on the back, and move them on. So, and the, so, so that, real quickly then, well, let, me, let me just throw this in real quick, because you made the comment about you and Taylor going toe-to-toe multiple times about pay-to-play, et cetera. I think what you're describing is ROI. So, right. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> you know, so it's... Let me let me just add kind of a part B to that question. You guys clearly have well thought out and you've established a foundation and a structure for these pathways. Let's get to the mental expectation side. How do you, as a caring leader, how do you manage kind of those players that are coming through that, you know, maybe they're not quite there Um you know, with with again today's expectations from families in particular, um, how how do you lean in on the empathy side? Because that is one of the things about most of the MLS academies, and they'll tell you straight up, that's not their strong suit. They're not interested in, uh, you know, kind of that caring side of the process. Do you value that? And do you kind of uh, how how do you manage 
expectations that might not it. might not be yeah. realistic. I cater to it. Yeah, I'm a father first. I, I, and I understand the MLS mentality. They're sinking a lot of money, so they just they have the mentality of who's next. And that's yeah. always been their mentality and always will be their mentality of who's next. I run a club. I need, okay, they're customers, they're clients, they pay money, they they help me operate. So when there's the bump in the road, I'm lucky because I have a bunch of guys, like I explained to you, that have played in this club and have gone before. We have a couple ex-pros. They got I can put my arm around the kid and say, Man, I got cut, I got traded. I, I failed. I missed a PK in Mexico and cost us a freaking game. I've been there. And and I understand that. And and a lot of these people forget that, that these are that these are kids and they're confused and they're not ready and they're not finished products. And they go into these academies that MLS have and they're not ready for it mentally, emotionally, and they get chewed up. Yeah, chewed up and spit out. How and, uh, and so I don't like it, and we can't operate like that. It's not what we're about. How real um, is Maxim, and how did you keep him away from those two MLS academies? And where is he going to sign at in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Maxim. I don't know. To answer your question, uh, he's on both lists. He doesn't want to go. He wants to try Europe, and that's, again, because they're so rigid. Um, He doesn't want to play in MLS. Maxim is going on trial to, um, I know Croatia has invited him. Uh, He might go to Italy, and I'm setting something up with him in Scandinavia and Germany. So he's going to go, listen, wanting to go, and then experiencing it are two different things. Is Maxim ready as a soccer player? 100%. Is he ready emotionally? Go live on your own. Say goodbye to his mom and dad. Live a culture. I, he needs to make that decision. That's the hardest part. It's not about the football side. The guy, you don't score 56 goals and not be a good player. So there's so many 56. more. And when you take them over there, they start to realize like, whoa, whoa, am I ready? Am I really, really ready? But he's going to go this summer. And I said, it's time for you to go check it out, man. People want you. Go. You learn the box. So we'll see. There's a couple other guys going over. And, you know, I I embrace it. I, I just, if anybody shows me the passion and then they have the ability, I said, what's, I always say to them, what's the risk, man? What's, right. your, what's the downside? Right. What is the freaking downside? Stay here in Irvine, go play for the Galaxy, or do you want to go spend three weeks and train for with two German clubs and know whether you're good enough or not? I mean, I would have given anything <laughs> if Americans well, question. were yeah. welcome. Well, I tell you what, Jared and no, I, are, <clears throat> Jared and I are about ready to pack our bags, Coach. You, you got, yeah, we're you in. got some room there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're on our way. We'll, we'll, we'll pull the boots out. Hey, uh, okay. here, here's here's what we're gonna do real quick. We're gonna we're gonna take a quick pause, Don. Uh, get some refills over here on our side. So go go ahead and hit your beer fridge. We'll be right back after this short break, and uh, I think it's about time for us to dig into some of the lovely uh, mullet and muscles, is what I called it last time. Yep. Uh, the '80s, the the steamer days, the barn. Does that sound like fun? Okay. 
Okay. No <laughs> All right, we'll be right I, back. I didn't think I could avoid those days, but okay. <laughs> just hang on the line here real quick. We'll be right back with you. All right. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. All right, people. We're back. What do you think, Zach? I think this is a really interesting choice. <laughs> oh, it makes total sense to me. Okay. <laughs> Jared, what do you think? You like this roll back in? Are they beating on trash cans? Maybe. Yes, lots they of them. Also used for ice baths? <laughs> Maybe. Don, what do you think? You, li- you like our roll in here? <laughs> All good. <laughs> a little. Uh, this is an honor of your years, the Casey Classic yeah. days of my beloved Van Halen, a little hot for teacher. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because, like, literally, when I do listen to KC95, and I only listen to KC on Fridays because they do play the old rotation. You and Godet. Yes. Yeah. Godet. K- yeah, Ken Godet. Um, when Van Halen comes on, I immediately picture walking in the front door of the old barn <laughs> on Oakland with my dad waiting to get the little orange inflatable handball. Oh, God. Right? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, oh, God. you know where I'm going with this, Don. <laughs> I know where you were going. I know where you were. I know, I know, I know. So, tell, tell, I mean, I'm just going to ask you point blank. When you think okay. of those years, how does it make you feel? Conflicted. Um, there was nothing like it on game day. Some of my best lifelong friends, Carl and, and Petch and these guys, um, uh, you can't explain what 18,000 people in that freaking arena. It shook, man. The bench shook. Wow. And, and when those, when those fans got into it, we didn't lose. And I've never been able to duplicate that. I don't care. I've been in stadiums, but that that era, that time, uh, it was unbelievable from the soccer and, and being a player and the craziness. And what the, the coolest thing was, we were all St. Louis guys outside of four or five really good outside guys. But and we all took pride in that. The confliction for me was it was just a wild and crazy time and 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 i i get conflicted that the outdoor game failed uh you know i had a i had a clear path i became an indoor player and kind of got stuck in and and labeled as an indoor player and 
the game I really loved was outdoor soccer. Obviously, I grew up with it, and it all went away, and it didn't open up, and then I got hurt playing it. And and so that's the conflicted side for me. I, I was as, yeah. as much of a rush and how cool it was to play in front of my mom and dad and, and all my friends, and, and, and that was cool. But speak on the side of me on the soccer side. Yeah, yeah. speak on the um... – the decision you you go to the cosmos right new york and it doesn't go well for you and at a young age you have the gumption or just the balls if you will to say screw it i'm going home i mean what how walk us through that decision and that time of your life and it had to be rough i mean what you were kind of alluding to uh discussing what you were just discussing walk us through that timeline of your life well, listen, I'm sitting here, 19 years old, winning a national title, having everybody tell me how great I am. And they come and they call my dad and they said, listen, if your son comes and turns pro, we're going to make a trade and we're the New York Cosmos and we think he's going to, you know, do this and this. And my dad was like, okay. And so we won a national title on a Sunday. The draft was Tuesday. Wow. And I had to make a decision to – turn pro and i did and, and listen i tell everybody i was a hundred i was a thousand percent unprepared i went from college i went from everything that college is and the good the bad the the, the fun the the work we had a great team but i was a college player she you probably had a hangover college. from the national championship party when you got drafted 100 percent. that's my point and all of a sudden i'm dropped they flew me to the Bahamas because the Cosmos training camp was in the Bahamas. Wow. And there's Canalia and Naskins and Carlos Alberto who played in four World Cups. And, wow. And, and Pele. It was Pele last year. So my first practice, here comes Pele. And I'm coming out of SIUE, <laughs> hanging out with Eddie Gettemeyer, my boy. And, you know, hanging wow. out at Spanky's Tavern. And somebody says, hey, good Guess what? Here you go. You're John Ebert. You're the number one pick. Go show us what you got. Show us what you got. I got nothing compared to guys who played at World Cup levels. And so I was so, so fish out of water. I didn't like New York. I missed St. Louis. I was miserable. And I got a call. And they said it was Pat. And, and Pat's like, you okay? I said, no, I hate this shit. I said, I, I got an offer on the table to get traded to uh, Chicago. Uh, they want to trade me, and Willie Roy tells me he's got, he's got, he loves me, and he's going to work with me, and it's closer to home. I'm thinking about going to Chicago and playing for the Sting. He goes, come home. I said, really? He goes, just get, come here. Come on, play for me. Do you know what we're doing? We had this first year. Come on, come back. And I went, I was so messed up. I was so down on myself, down on New York, that when that phone call came, I called my agent. I said, I'm going to St. Louis. He goes, you can't go to St. Louis. I just got you done in Chicago. I said, I don't <laughs> care. I'm not reporting. You tell that guy I'm not coming. I jumped on a plane, and I flew to St. Louis, and that was it. I, this, this, Hell, I was in camp two days later with Pat. So it was, you know, that's what I'm saying conflicted, unprepared. And every time I talk to a 15 year old and a 16 year old and, and a dad who's crazy and 
telling me how his son's going to be the next freaking Pulisic. I'm like, slow down, slow down, slow down. You haven't even fallen down. You're not ready. You're not that. And I lived it, man. I, I, I raised my hand and say, no one taught me how to be a pro. They didn't even, they just threw us in there and said, think or swim. And man, I, I, I sank. Thank hard. Well, here, here's the thing, though. I mean, was there a better life preserver ever than that that team that Pat put together in that environment with, you know, a uh, celebration coming on afterwards and <laughs> all those people? I mean, what, what, what did it – I mean, was it a quick recovery once you guys – Yeah, it was the perfect medicine. Wow. Since day one – you know, here's Carl and Petch and Bellinger and, and Ty and Larry Holser. Larry Holser and I grew up on the same street. And Larry's there. And I'm like, holy, sh you know, Schuler and all these guys. I just went, I went from knowing nobody, English never even being spoken to this, to home. To a bunch of St. Louis guys who all were the same way, all enjoyed the same stuff. We were all the same age. None of us were married. No one had children yet. It was this this really weird, we're all just pent up, let's go, get out of our way. We had the perfect coach in Pat who who didn't overcoach us, just just made us own up our, our crap, just do the right thing, work together. He was perfect. It was the perfect life raft for me. It it kept me playing. I was I was done. I, you guys I, I were flipping celebrities, man. You guys were like the toast of the town. I mean, to me, um, was a young kid, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a soccer guy, so I, of course I'm going to say this, but you guys were more popular than the Blues. You guys had more people at the game than the Blues. Oftentimes, I mean, you guys were just the, the walking around young kids in this town, just running things, man. I mean, how 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 much of a glorious? I mean, you said conflicted. That's got to be a fond memory of that era with those guys and your pals running around owning this town. That's a highlight. That's that's what made it ridiculously special. And and I wish we could have done that and then played an outdoor season and then came back an indoor like originally we were all doing. Then go back outdoor and then then I would have felt like the cycle was complete. But. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to describe what it was like. I was 20, 21, coming back and being thrown into the steamers, and all of a sudden it's 18,000 people, and we're winning, and the city's gone nuts, and you're like, what? Wow, this is pretty cool. And everywhere you went, it was the same thing. So it was phenomenal. Don't get me It was phenomenal. It was just, you know, that other piece that I always look back at, but listen, that's why everybody tried to copy it. And everybody said, we're going to bring the steamers back and we'll call it this, or we're going to, and I kept saying, guys, it, it, it won't, it won't happen again. It was, it was 18 St. Louis guys that were all in the same place mentally, all at the same age, all with the same characteristics and we all want to go for a beer afterwards but we're going to our training sessions were war it weren't dirty <laughs> but you should have seen pat would roll a ball out there and say go for it 
and it was brutal. The did, did you guys play shark? Did you guys play sharks and minnows? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was a scene from um, the the very opening scene from Anchorman when when they're at that party, <laughs> yeah. and I, I feel like that's the steamers. That's what like when you make the movie. Yeah. That's what we gotta do. Is like yeah. I got a very serious. New story, <laughs> cannonball, <laughs> and then you guys are going out and just kicking the shit out of the comments. So, uh, so, so, so those those days though. I mean, you've been you've you've been name dropping the whole time. Obviously, these are probably it sounds as if they're the people that meant the most to you in your career, um, the the patches of the world, etc. Who, who, who's the one? Who's the one on a? deserted island who's the one guy you bring with it's like that's my anchor if we're going to get out of here he's going to get me out of here Who, who's that player for you player? over all those years yes that was carl carl and i you know we roomed together and uh we hung out a lot and you know he was from canada it's, he kind of went through what i went through at the cosmos and you know it, it, it's weird chemistry petch and i could go drink all night and be best buddies and kick each other. He'd kick the crap out of me every day at, at training. And I love the guy. We'd play golf and, and, but you know, Petch, Carl and I, but if I'm going into a bunker, if it's me walking off in the sunset, I walk off with Carl and we had, we just had a chemistry. Awesome. We got along. We understood each other. So, so let me ask you this then, <clears throat> as you are, you know, you're, you're, you're running through the, the early 80s, and here in town, obviously, you got Whitey Ball over at Bush Stadium. You got what you guys are doing at uh, Oakland. Uh, you, you know, you just talked about the camaraderie that, that developed and, uh, you know, the loyalty, these long-term friends, lifelong friends, you know, the majority of them you grew up with as well. Um, <clears throat> what did it mean to you, though, come, I, I believe, 86, whenever Tony comes to you know takes over and you you get that call or you get that letter or however it worked out tell us the story about the trade and you know when you when you found out about it and you're going to LA what was that like and what was going through your head at that time well you don't get a letter you get a call I woke up and it was Mike Sanger was our GM and Tony had become the head coach because uh, his buddy bought the team from the Kerners. It, I knew Tony and I, listen, we were, we were complete opposites. I like to go out. After, if we win, we're going to go out and have a dinner and a few beers. And Tony was just like football, football, football. So I'm going to go run 10 miles. So Tony and I, I think we brought each the best out of each other, but we were complete opposites. Once he took control, I, I knew my days. But the call was hard, and I had a no-trade clause, and I had three clubs that they could trade me to, and L.A. was one of them. And I was really down. My wife didn't want to move. I just we just had her second child, and and so I knew she wasn't going to be able to go. And so everything just got turned upside down on a phone call. And that, that even though you, you're telling yourself, I don't know if this is going to work out with Coach Tony here, um, that was a big one for me. And, um, but I got to tell you, even though I got hurt out here and I couldn't play anymore, the rest of my life, the rest of the story post the trade has been a blessing and I'm grateful. And I, I work with some unbelievable people, but 
when somebody tells you they don't want you to get your ass out and they're expecting you tomorrow and here's a phone number call jim bus and he'll tell you what your flight is and you don't say goodbye to anybody you don't get this go to the session and it it, it hurts man it it ain't that, uh, it hurts. It's a kick there. in the pills, man. It, it, yeah. It's got to be a kick in the pills. And I tell you what, it's funny how things work out. Like, if you look at the historical value of, of just that trade of you guys going west, I mean, you had mentioned early in the show that Mr. Buss was one of your mentors. Mr. West was one of your mentors. So you have developed a life out there and, and built this great club because of that trade. Coincidentally, um, we get uh, Kavanaugh you know, into St. Louis and, and what Kavanaugh has done for our game in St. Louis <laughs> is, is just trade. What, like, like trade. I mean, what, what that, what that gentleman no, has yeah. done for, for us in St. Louis, as far as at the soccer park with worldwide, the club game, the pro game, the, I mean, it, it, it is just a weird how things work with that shuffle of you guys going West, him coming here and, and, and where all the chips fell. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Well, well, and real quick, uh, uh, Don, talk about who you were traded with. Who went out there with you at that time? Patch. Patch. So it was Patch and I got traded for Poli Garcia, who ended up being a great friend and a coach in my club. And his daughter played with my daughter for eight years in the club. And Poli and I became – I gave him my house to, 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 uh, to use when he first got – so Poli and Cav go your way. Patch and I come this way. And uh, – Listen, Cab was going to go back anyway, and and Poli had a great two years, but he loved California, and Petch hated California. Petch lasted one year. He said, "I'm out of here." <laughs> well, so so so, so. I said, Southern California, where are you going? You can't leave me because I'm I hate this. God, I got I'm gonna work for Bush. <laughs> well, so so I texted him earlier today because we're we're actually recording this uh, over at Scott Gallagher, and I'm like, hey, can I can I, can I use the boardroom? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I told him who I was interviewing, and he's like, oh hell yeah. I said, you got any dirt or anything I can bring up? And he's like, uh, be sure to ask him about the first game and the party at the bus mansion afterwards. So, how'd that first game go? And more importantly, how was the party? <laughs> and, and, and this is an explicit and, so you, and, you don't have, this is not um and in next PG. week's episode <laughs> so it's just part of it, it, it's part of what i told you night and day so first game forum i don't know i score four goals and we win eight six and they think i walk on water i just landed in st louis the lasers are the worst team in the west in our first game, I score four goals, and we win. And Jim Buss comes up to me and Patch and says, you're going out with me tonight. We're going to show you what this is all about. And I say, great. He goes, there's a big party. Well, his father owned a place called Pick Fair Mansion. If you know anything about Pick Fair, <laughs> it's where the, it's, I end up going to this mansion. It's a... They're parking cars. It's all of Jerry's friends. It's wow. Jimmy's friends. They all. It's Hollywood. And here's Don Ebert and Steve Fetcher, <laughs> hour after kicking a ball at the Forum, locked at Pick's Fair Mansion, where I'm just like, 
Uh, I know you. You're an actress. Okay, you. There's Jerry Butts going, hey, good good game, man. Hey, this is a good trade. You did really good. Can't wait to see you next time. I'm like, where the frick am I? Rack them. Well, they dropped us off. The pet tonight, we had no way to get home. And there's no Ubers in this day and age. And the guy who brought us was Jim Butts, Jerry's son. Well, he long gone. He checked out with some girl and there's Tex and I, and it's two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning. I go, Pet, what's we're we're in Pick Fair Mansion. We're we him and I were still in the hotel because the form. I said, Pet, how are we getting home, man? Well, a guy comes up to us, one of Jerry's drivers, and goes, Man, I'm 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 too drunk. I can't I can't drive you now, but I'll drive you in the morning when I wake up. I said, well, where do we, what do we do? He goes, I don't know, just crash out on the couch with all these other 20 people. <laughs> crash out all around here. That's a big couch. And <laughs> on the big couch, and Petch and I sat there at Pick Fair Mansion after the first game ever going, what? I felt like the Wizard of Oz, like, put your shoes, <laughs> take me home to Kansas, photo. I didn't know. And so that was, it, was my introduction to, LA. to so, Hollywood. So was it at that moment you knew you were never moving back? <laughs> uh, I don't know when that happened. So I, 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 I got to be honest. I got a question I, for there you. There was on... a time when I, I knew I wasn't going. I, I did. I, I my wife really liked it, and once my kids came out here, they were like, "Dad, we really like it." And I just kind of knew that I needed to, I needed to follow this path with Buzz. I was a sports junkie. All I'd known was sports, and here I'd land on probably, in my estimation, the greatest owner of sports. That time he owned the Lakers, the Kings, the Forum, the indoor soccer Jeez. team. He owned Prime Ticket. And he owned the boxing department where I ended up going. Uh, so it was a one-stop shop, and he was it was unbelievable. And and so I kind of said, I got to ride this horse and learn. I always tell it's like a master's degree in sports, marketing, management, prof- everything, how to run an organization. I think I learned some of the best. And and that's probably the best thing I take because so my too. playing career – in L.A. wasn't really good. I got hurt, and it was over. Well, so I have a question. Right before you left, you know, before you get that call, or maybe the day you get that call, and you, could you have imagined 30-plus years later that you would be responsible for such a club, such a legacy of coaches and players? Would that have crossed your mind that that would be your legacy? Not, I mean, your playing days, certainly. I mean... 1980, Steamers, the Cosmos, all that is, is amazing and resume fodder. But did you realize earlier on that the legacy you would leave is more on the impression you gave to the, the kids, those families, those coaches? Did you have that in mind when you decided to stay or was it just, hey, the bus family's <laughs> taking care of things and, and this is a good horse to, to stay with? I'm just curious because I don't, we, we, I don't think you I don't think you can think about legacy when you're doing it. You know, when you start something, uh, listen, well I didn't have a whole lot of choices, you know. And, right. And so you, you're just living. I didn't know how to run a club. I'd never run a club. I had retired. I'm in Irvine. A buddy of mine says, hey, will you take my team? We're part of this Irvine Strikers. They, every coach was a parent. There were like eight teams at the time. 
So I went to one practice. I said, oh, my God, this is garbage. And so, <laughs> you know, then, then, my, then my son says, Dad, I want to play. I want to do yoga. So when you do it, you know, it's it, you, honestly, I it, no legacy. But I'll be honest, as I got into it, and then you help one guy, and this kid goes to college, and you get the email, thank you. You know, I, I wouldn't do it without strikers. And then there's the first pro, and then you get your first, you know, kid on the World Cup team. And we had two starters on the World Cup team with Bornstein uh, that year. And, and I'm like, wow. And then there's no going back. And then yeah. once you – once you – once your heart – then, then I just embraced that. I enjoyed helping and working. Now, I'm not very good with girls, and I gave up the girl side. I just enjoyed, and I know you can't say these things politically. I just enjoyed the guys' game, and sure. I really enjoyed getting after them and pushing them. And, but I'll tell you what, it's a whole different world than it was when I started 35 years ago, how, how we handle things. But I, you know... It, it was the right I'm listen somebody looked after me the trade was devastating I remember I called Denny Long remember Denny Long yeah he he ran in Heiser Bush and he was he was doing all the soccer and I called Denny right after my agent called and I said I got traded he goes you're kidding me I said and there was rumors he was going to buy the team I said are you going to buy the team Denny because if you're going to buy the team then I want to stay and I can fight this he goes Don I'm not buying the team it's, that that guy's an idiot. It was Tom Bowers. He goes, I'm not doing it. Screw him. Let him sink and swim. I'm sorry. I said, okay, Denny, I'm on a plane tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thank you for everything. You've been unbelievable to me. So off I went. And um, I, I, listen, you, you get lucky for all the times you get kicked in the nuts in the trade and blow out your back and you can't play. I think it worked out for me. This is this is a good place for me. I'm very comfortable doing this job. I have a couple wind up questions for you, um, because I mean, I, I got to be honest. You are uh, episode number sixty one. Sixty one. We've had sixty one of these. Um, we've had you know Ed on. We've had Al Trost. We've had McDermott. I mean, a, a lot of your peers. Uh, I got to be honest. This has been it's been incredible, Don. I mean, you are not only were you one of my idols as a kid, as a player, going and watching. Uh, you know, later in life, I knew you were running the club, and we all watch it because our kids are in the system as well. And it's like, damn, that's cool. But this has been an absolute blast. So <clears throat> I want to get that out of the way first. But I have two critically important questions: uh, Ed Gadamire versus Slobo. Go ahead. Two different goalies. Uh, <laughs> Eddie, outdoor, I'll take Eddie all day long. Uh, he was amazing, controlled the box, had presence. But indoor, Slobo was a, a cat. Slobo was a freak. Slobo revolutionized <laughs> indoor goalkeepers. Uh, before yeah. Slobo, every goalkeeper was an outdoor guy and a fish out of water. But yeah. uh, Slobo was the best indoor keeper God rest his soul. But Eddie would be one of my top, top, top outdoor goalies. Uh, he was brilliant. brilliant. That's, that's awesome. Uh, and then the most important question, uh, 
in those steamer days when you guys would get the victory and you're heading out for that steak and beers, where did you go? Because we were we were all over town looking for you guys. Where were you where were you hiding out? We always went to the same place. Where'd we you go? always went to uh Musial and Biggie's because he owned the team. <laughs> so Dan Musial would walk in if it was a, almost almost after every game. He goes, Boys, that's happening. You know, Dan the man. I'm like, that's Dan the man, man. My dad loves you. And uh he goes, Mike Blake, on me. And We'd all go there, and no one bothered us. He put us in the room, and we got to have a few drinks and food, and that was absolutely the place we went after big wins. That's 100%. awesome. Well, that yeah, I, I, I can't say thank you enough, man. Um, this has been... It, truly a pleasure. Uh, I got a little. I got a little outro music for you. You know, in on here you go. I'll be quiet for a second. Check this out. <laughs> right? You're probably tell me you're grinning. Tell me you're like laughing, or maybe you're shaking your head like these dipshits. What did I do this for? <laughs> Don, I did it for an hour, and I, yeah, I'm still here. So uh, yes, thank you. Well, I just again, I'm gonna thank you for your time. Uh, I think I'm going to speak on uh, Jared and Zach's behalf as well. Uh, this has been an incredible hour for us. Um, so we wish you the best of luck. I mean, obviously, we'll be paying attention to the club and um, probably going to be crossing your paths here. I would imagine, yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially the 16s and 17s. Yeah. And, and next time we do, you know, we're going to make sure we'll we'll show up. We'll buy the beers. We'll bring we'll bring yep. the cold bush beers Deal. your way. Yeah. How's that sound? Deal. Yeah. I want to thank Scott Gallagher, too, and Patch for giving us the room. Um, yep. Yeah, Patch. Uh, I know Patch is going to afford it. Tell Patch that he can afford it. <laughs> He'll send me a bill. Tell him he can afford it. <laughs> All right. Patch is still the tightest sob on the team. <laughs> he, ne- he never dug too deep. Never did. I love it. Well, the red, the red light is still on, so he will definitely hear oh, this part this. as well. Good. He knows it, too. <laughs> he knows it, too. <laughs> All right, people. I hope you enjoyed right, this guys. one. Give us, give us a, give us a follow when you get a chance. If you get a chance, toss a review. Um, Mr. Don Ebert, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, and Don. We'll catch up with everybody next time. Okay, guys, enjoy. Later. Thanks. Thank you.